Well, hey, everybody, what's up? It's so good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us for this online worship experience. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge, and I am so glad that we get to come together like this, even in this fashion. Thank God for technology. Even though we can't come together physically in one space, we can actually come together online in this fashion. So I'm so glad that we get to do this. We are in this uh, together and I just want you to know that um, I am with you, I am for you, we are in this thing together, I am in this for the long haul, we're going to make it, we're going to figure it out, we're going to get through this season together. And we're in this series right now called How to Get Through, How to Get Through, whoever you are, regardless of what your situation is or your circumstances, I think we're all asking the question, how do we get through? How are we going to get through this thing? How are we going to get through this situation that we find ourselves in? And I just want to begin by saying the struggle is real. Uh, the struggle is real. I think now that we are several weeks into this thing, we're beginning to face some, some realities about the situation that perhaps maybe are challenging or hard or um, aren't pretty. Some of you are facing certain realities about yourself that you've never had to face before. Some of you are walking through uh, things you've never experienced before, feelings you've never experienced before, thoughts you've never experienced before, realities you've never experienced before. And I just want to say the struggle is real, and we're all in this together. Maybe you're like the one anomaly that, that this is a mountaintop experience for you, but I want to say for, for most of us, the struggle is real. I, I've, got, I've got one friend that just... It is literally at, at a rehab center right now, just checked himself in recently. I've got another friend that has uh, family members who um, are, are in the hospital, and he can't actually go and visit them. I've got friends that are working through job situations and job losses. We're trying to figure out how to work from home or how, how to figure out what to do without having a job. Friends that around the country that actually have the virus and are going, it's just the struggle is Real And so I just want to like create a little bit of space today as, as we dive into this to just say, um, it's okay that you're facing what you're facing right now. It's okay that you're going through what you're going through, and we're going to get through this uh, together. Just a couple weeks ago, to be, to be honest and to be transparent, um, I'm typically a kind of person that whenever the, the going gets tough, whenever the pressure rises, I typically do, do better. My dad would always say whenever... I was a kid in sports, growing up playing sports, that when the game was on the line, I actually played my best. And so I kind of typically do really well under hard, intense circumstances. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, I, I think I hit a, a breaking point uh, personally. You know, every, everybody's facing hard things right now. I think as a, as a church, by the way, um, our, our church, we're, I'm just so encouraged by our church right now. So thankful for our elder team. I'm so thankful for our staff team. I'm so thankful for the way that we have pushed forward through this and, and moved the ministry and the, the mission of the kingdom forward in this season. Um, so, so encouraged by our team. But what, what, we're do, what we had to do within the period of really a, a couple weeks is try to figure out, it's like flying a plane and then rebuilding it in midair. I mean, everything that we, we, we're doing has, has changed in some way, shape, or form. I mean, everything that we're doing is now online and virtual, and it, it's, it's been challenging and I felt like I was doing pretty good um, in the first few weeks, but literally uh, about a few weeks in, right before Easter, I, I had some, some interesting physical stuff going on. My, I had to find my heart racing and have some shortness of breath, and I didn't know exactly what was going on, and I felt fine spiritually. I, I felt good in some other ways, and having a 
conversation with my counselor the following week, um, he said, it sounds like what you were going through was an anxiety attack. And so I actually shut it down for um, about a, a week, and our team did a great job of stepping in. But I, I'm, this is new for me. This is weird for me. I, I don't, I'm not typically in situations uh, like this where my body is failing or my mind is failing. And so I just want to say that the struggle is real today. The struggle is real. We're going to be in Psalm 40, Psalm chapter 40. If you've got a Bible, um, I want to encourage you to join me there. We're going to be in Psalm 40 today, and I am just going to um, walk us through three verses, the first three verses of this Psalm, verses 1, verses 2, and uh, verse 3, um, as we um, navigate together through this Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. This is a psalm of David. David is pinning this with his own pen, with his own hand. He's articulating his own personal struggle, his own situation, his own story a few thousand years ago that is so applicable for today. He begins with these first six words that I think will actually will completely change your life if you get it. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then he, speaking of God, he inclined to me and heard my cry. Cry. David is crying because of his situation. He's, he's crying out to the Lord because of his struggle. He's, this is lament. Uh, this is pleading before the Lord. This is, like I said last week, this is screaming before the Lord. He's giving his situation to God. God, he inclined to me and he heard my cry. Verse 2, he drew me up. Out, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. He drew me up from the pit, which, by the way, everyone faces the pit. Everyone faces the pit. Everyone faces the pit. There are no exceptions. Everyone faces the pit. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Verse 3, he, speaking of God again, he put a new song in my mouth, song directly from the Lord, lyrics directly from the Lord, melody directly from the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Here's the title for the sermon today. Here's the title for the sermon Engage with me. Put this in the chat. Everybody put this in the chat. This is the title for the sermon. Here is the title of today. It is How to Get Out of the Pit. How to Get Out of the Pit. How to Get Out of the Pit. If you're with somebody, say it out loud. How to Get Out of the Pit. Today we're going to find out how to get out of the pit. Reminds me of a situation that happened um, a few decades ago in 1987 in a little town called Midland, Texas. There was actually a young a little girl, um, just, just a baby. She was 18 months old, was actually playing in the backyard of her aunt's home. You may remember the story. And as she's playing in the backyard of her home, she stumbles across the well that is located in the backyard. Well, this well, the top of this well wasn't fastened. The top could actually be removed from it. And this little girl, her name was Jessica, at the age of 18 months, um, fell into this well. It was a small, slender well. It was actually only eight inches in diameter. This young little girl, she fell into the well. She would slide down. 
she would slide down the shaft of this well, and she would be about 22 feet below the surface before anybody knew what had happened. And they come out, obviously, and can't find their daughter, and they end up realizing that she has fallen down this well. Well, for the next 58 hours, well, as the woman Jessica recounts her story, 58 and a half hours, for the next 58 and a half hours, these um, people, I don't, I don't know, all sorts of different, the police, the government, the professional drillers, all sorts of different kinds of, the entire community would come together. They would actually drill another hole parallel to the well, below her depth, and they would go horizontally to rescue her from the well. And after 58 and a half hours, they would actually get to her and bring her back to the surface and rescue her from that well. What I want to say today is that you and I find ourselves in a pit. Actually, the word in the Bible for pit is the same word for well. We find ourselves in pits that are dark, that are lonely, that are painful, that are hard, that we need to be rescued out of. And then David shows us today how to get out of the pit, how to get out of the pit. And we'll see some similarities from that story to our story and our situation that we find ourselves in. So what is the pit? What is the pit? Well, David says that he was in this pit of a destruction. If you'd actually look at that word, the word for pit, it, it can be translated as cistern or well or pit. It, it literally means a hole that has been dug into the ground. This word pit is used 17 times in the Psalms, and all of the Psalms it's mentioned 17 times. It's actually mentioned throughout the Bible. We find in Exodus chapter 21 that there were actually laws for the people of Israel, that they had wells and they had cisterns and they had pits, but they were required by law to cover those pits so livestock would not fall in. We also remember the story of Joseph. Joseph would be betrayed by his brothers, and his brothers would eventually sell him into slavery. But before that, their first strategy was to throw him into a pit, a, a, a hole in the bottom of the ground, perhaps an empty, dried-up well. They would put him in there because they hated him, because they didn't want him, and they wanted him to die there. You would fast forward into even the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah finds himself in a situation where he's constantly speaking the message and the truth of God, but people hate him because of it. And actually, at one moment in his life, as he is being a prophet of God, he's actually thrown into a pit by people all by himself in the ground as the prophet, wasting away in, uh, in this pit underground, this empty cistern, this empty well, And he would actually come and be rescued by a king, but he found himself in a pit. We also, if you remember the story of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. That word for den could also be translated pit. It's literally a hole in the ground. It's a hole in the ground. They actually would put lions and animals down there and throw the, the bodies of people through to these lions, oftentimes alive, as was Daniel's case. And then God rescued him from that den from that pit. We see the pit all over the Bible. We see it right here in the psalm, and we see it throughout the psalms. So what, what, is, what is the pit? Well, first, the pit, it, it's literally, quite literally, it's a place of loneliness. The pit is a place of loneliness. You're by yourself. You're isolated away from society. You're isolated away from your friends, from your family. You're, you're by yourself. You're in this pit. It's, it's a place of loneliness. It's also a place of darkness. It's very dark in the pit. Just, just occasionally, depending on if the the top of the pit isn't covered. Light might come through because of the sun, depending on the angle of the day. 
At night, it's completely pitch black dark. There's no candles. There, there's no lights. It's a place of darkness. It's also a place of pain. The pit is a place of, a place of pain where often you'd get beaten before you'd be thrown into the pit. You'd get, you get beaten, and then when you'd get thrown into the pit, you would fall down into it. It would be a place of pain and hurt. Typically would have wounds. Typically would have injuries sitting at the bottom of this pit. I mean, it's also a place of death. In the Bible, often the pit is referred to as the place of destruction or the place of death, even Sheol. It's the place where people go to die. You know, when you're in that pit, if you could even imagine being in a literal pit, a physical pit, you begin to think and you begin to tell yourself, it feels like, it feels like there's no way out. It feels like there's no way out. You actually, uh, you actually can't, can't get out. It feels like there's no way out. It feels like you're trapped there forever. It feels like there's no way out. It also feels like you're alone because you're alone. You're not with anyone. There's no one with you. You're by yourself. It feels like you are alone, and it feels like you're going to die. It feels like this is the end. It feels like you are going to die. Now, that's what literal pits are in the Bible. But then we see this concept applied to metaphorical pits. So what is often true about literal pits is, is even true about metaphorical pits. And David here in Psalm 40 is in a metaphorical pit. He's not actually in a physical pit or a little, literal pit. He's in a metaphorical pit. He, he's, he's in a pit in his life. He actually doesn't tell us what the circumstances are. He actually doesn't tell us what the challenges are. He, de he doesn't tell us here in the psalm what his own unique pit was, but he talks about what it means to be in the pit and how he got out of the pit. All of us are going to face the pit. All of, all of us are going to face the pit. Many of us are actually in a pit right now. Maybe you're facing a, a pit that's physical in nature, health-related in nature. Maybe it's spiritual in nature. Maybe, maybe it's financial in nature. Maybe it's relational in nature. Maybe it's marital in nature. Maybe it's parental in nature. Maybe it's related to substances. Maybe it's related to patterns. Maybe it's related to something that's going on in your life. But you feel like there is no way out. You feel like you're all alone and you feel like you're going to die. You feel like this is going to be the end. So how do you get out of the pit? When we find ourselves in these kinds of situations, how do you get out? How do you get out? And I believe David tells us. Look with me back at verse 1 of Psalm 40. I believe this is how you get out of the pit. Psalm 1, Psalm 40, rather, verse 1. He says this, these short six words. I waited, waited, waited patiently for the Lord. I believe those six words will transform your life if you understand them. He says that he waited patiently for the Lord. So what exactly does it mean to, um, to wait patiently? This word for waited, waited patiently, it's two words in English, but it's actually one word in the Hebrew, in the original language. Um, the word here for waiting patiently, it means to, to look eagerly to something, to look to something outside yourself and to, to, to wait and to long for something that you don't have. It means to be in a position or to be in a place where you don't actually have the remedy. It means to, to wait. It means to look eagerly. It actually comes from the root. The root of this word actually means to bind together. Um, it has this idea of kind of enduring, of, of hanging in there, of, of sticking with something, of, of not giving up, of holding on, of being 
patient, of waiting, of looking eagerly and longing for something. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Waiting necessitates um, relationship, if you think about it. It necessitates, necessitates relationship if you're waiting for, for something. For instance, um, if you are a single person today, um, you actually don't have to wait on anyone as far as a spouse is related. Once you get married, the rest of your life will be waiting on your spouse. Waiting necessitates a relationship, that there's relationship there, that there's, that there's something outside yourself that you need. There's something outside yourself that you um, have to have. There's something outside yourself that you are, are committed to or need something from them. It necessitates um, re- relationship. And David says, I waited, um, and he means this in a relational sense, for the Lord, like patiently longing and looking for him. Waiting necessitates um, relationship. Waiting also necessitates submission. Waiting necessitates submission. So, for instance, if you go to the doctor's office and you are in the waiting room, it necessitates a submission. You are there in the waiting room submitting to the process of that doctor's office. This is the process that they have in place. And if you want to get the remedy, if you want to be a, a change, if you want to be healed, whatever it is, you have to submit to the process. You have to sit and wait. Waiting necessitates submission. David says, I've waited patiently to the Lord. I've submitted to the Lord. I've submitted to the Lord. And then also waiting necessitates dependence. Dependence. By definition, waiting necessitates dependence. That you don't have what it takes to get you out of your own personal circumstance. Like we said last week, the DIY approach does not work. You cannot do it yourself. Waiting, by definition, means that you are in a place of dependence for something outside yourself. Something outside yourself. See, waiting, I'll say, is the patient, uh, expectant, uh, persistent longing for an outcome outside yourself. That's what it means to wait. And David says that's the kind of relationship that he has with God. He's found himself in a pit And he's going to wait, and he's going to endure, and he's going to submit, and he's going to be dependent. He's done with his own self-help strategies. He's done with trying to get himself out of the pit. Which, by the way, if you try to climb out of the pit, you actually end up harming yourself more. Because you end up slipping, you end up falling, you end up coming back down. You can't get yourself out of a pit, and that's the point. You can't get yourself out of a pit. Money can't get yourself out of um, a pit. Moralism and trying to be a better person can't get yourself out of the pit. Medication can't get yourself out of the pit. Though there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with moralism. There's nothing wrong with medication. But those things aren't designed to rescue you. They have not been designed by God to rescue you and to get you out of the pit. They're not bad things. They're just not designed to be your rescuer. And David says that I have waited on The Lord. Waiting on the Lord. I want to tell you today that you'll never get out of the pit without waiting. You'll never get out of the pit. You'll never get out of the pit until you turn to God. You'll never get out of the pit until you turn to him in relationship. You'll never get out of the pit until you turn to him in submission. You'll never get out of the pit until you turn to him in dependence on him. Can I just ask you a question today, whoever you are, where are, wherever you are from, however you're tuning into this, whatever your story is, is your life characterized by waiting on God? 
in relationship with him, in submission to him, in dependence to him. Do you know that's how God designed it to be? God designs you to be in a relationship with him where you'd be submitted to him, where you would be in dependence to him. And then here's, here's what happens. When we actually do that, when we, when we fulfill that, when we step into that, when that becomes the posture of our heart, miracles happen. When that becomes the posture of our heart, things change. When that becomes the posture of our heart, it changes the way that God operates with us. Scriptures are full with when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. When we turn to God, he turns towards us. This is the pattern. And so this is why waiting is so critical and waiting is so important. This is the only way. You'll never get out of the pit if you aren't waiting on God. And so then David shows us, David shows us what, what I'll call three provisions um, for waiting. So what happens when you wait? This is what happens when you wait. There are three provisions for um, waiting. Look back at verse 1. It says this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and then here's what happens. The rest of this, the rest of these verses are all God. This is all what God does. The only thing David does is he waits patiently for the Lord, and here's what God does. Here's the first thing. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He inclined to me and heard my cry. You see that? You see that picture? David, he, he, he seeks the Lord, he waits for the Lord, he longs for the Lord, he's got eager hope and expectation for God, he, he waits uh, for him, he waits for the Lord, and then God inclines to him, and he hears um, his cry. Uh, one commentator um, says in this verse that God bent down. God bent down. This has the, the language of intimacy, this has the language of empathy, this means we have a God that isn't some distant deity that is, has no idea of what we're going through. We don't have a God that is some kind of a foreign God that's it's distant, he's away, he doesn't understand what it's like. Hebrews would even tell us that Jesus Christ, he is our great high priest that is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. Which means we have a God church that, that gives, um, that, that bends down to us. Here, here, here's, he inclines, here's the first provision, number one, number one. The provision of presence. The provision of presence. God gives us his presence to get us out of the pit. You remember that feeling earlier that I mentioned when you are in the pit, that feeling of I'm all alone? I'm all alone. I'm isolated. I'm by myself. No one is here for me. No one sees me. No one understands me. No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows what it's like to be me and look at my bank account every day at the balance. Nobody knows what it's like me to stand in front of my medicine cabinet and look at all the pills. Nobody knows what it's like me to try to be in this house with these kids. I'm all alone. It feels like I'm all alone. Here's the good news. The provision of presence. That God meets you in the pit, that God meets you, that he inclines to you. He bends down to you. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that, that God actually does that to you? You know, we have to be careful with our feelings as we walk through seasons like this is when you're in the pit. Feelings aren't a bad thing. Feelings are actually good things. I would say feelings um, reveal what's on the inside. Feelings are like a window into the soul. They let us see something that's going on internally. Feelings aren't bad, but feelings are like um, a thermometer. Feelings are like a thermometer in the sense that they tell us uh, kind of where the temperature is. But feelings, we must, be, um, we must make note that feelings are not the thermostat. 
Feelings are the thermometer, but faith is the thermostat. Faith is the thermostat. That, that means we have to set the thermostat. That feelings reveal something about us on the inside, but our faith is the thermostat that begins to direct us and to set ourselves on a certain direction in a certain way. And so when you're in the pit, if you're in the pit today and you feel like you're all alone, I'm here to tell you today in faith, and you can say this as well, that you are not alone. You are not alone. God is with you. He's bending down. He's coming for you. God loves you. He wants you. You aren't in this all by yourself. The most high God, the God of the universe, is bending down to you today. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You don't have to do this when you, on your own. When you, when, you, when, you, when you wait on the Lord, you get, first of all, you get the provision of presence. I love the way that David would say it later in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, he, he says this. Where can I go from your spirit, speaking of God? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Get this. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths you are there. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You're not alone. There's nowhere that you can go to flee the presence of God. There's no situation, there's no circumstance that you can find yourself in where God will not be present and meet you there. You are not alone. You're not alone. So first of all, we see the provision of presence. Now look with me back in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says this. David says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, out of the mud, out of, out of the mud that my feet um, was in, and set my feet upon a rock. He set my feet on a rock. I've got a new position now. I've got a new place now. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Remember, David's pit is metaphorical. It's metaphorical, but he's using this analogy for us. Um, he says God drew him up out of the pit. He drew him up out, and then he set his feet on a rock. David is essentially saying that I now have a new perspective. I now have a new vantage point. I'm no longer in the miry bog. I'm, I'm no longer slipping. I, I'm now secure. I've got security from the Lord. I've got a new perspective. I've got a new vantage point for the way that I'm seeing and the way that I am operating. My new operation uh, strategy, my, my new MO mode of operation is no longer despair. It's deliverance. It's deliverance. I got a new perspective. So here's, here's, here's number two, the second provision, the provision of perspective. The provision of perspective. He's got a new perspective. He's been waiting on the Lord. He's been longing for the Lord. He's no longer, um, his feet are no longer slippery. They're solid. He's no longer operating in despair. He's operating in deliverance. Remember his feelings, the feelings that you feel when you're in the pit? You feel like there's no way out. You just feel like there's no way out. I'm, I'm never going to get out of this situation. I'm never going to get out of the circumstance. That's how you feel in a pit. Well, I'm here today to tell you there is a way out. There is a way out, and God can get you out. God can get you out. And David said, God reached down, and he drew me up, and he picked me up out of that pit. He picked me up out of that pit, and he gave me a new perspective. He gave me a new vantage point. Now my feet are secure. Now my feet are stable. Now I've got a completely different outlook on things. 
I've been delivered from that. I now have a, a brand new perspective. I'm here to tell somebody today that God can get you out. He can get you out. God can get you out. And I'm here also to tell somebody today that feels like they're going to die in the pit, that you're not going to die. You're not going to die. I know it feels like you're going to die. I know that in the pit, it feels like death. It feels like destruction. David said, I was in the pit of destruction. I thought I was going to die. And I'm here to tell you today that in that pit, whatever pit you are facing, that you don't have to die in that pit. You're not going to die. God can get you out. God can set you free. He can deliver you from that pit. God can get you out. You're not going to die. I was, I was preparing just a couple days ago on this as I was working through this point in this reality, I felt like what I heard from the Lord was, um, you're not going to die, but there is something else about this. God won't let you die in the pit, but he will, he will let some things in you die in the pit. What is it that is in your life right now that needs to die in the pit? What do you need to leave in the pit? What, do you, what, what needs to die in you? Is, is there perhaps unforgiveness or a lack of forgiveness that you have between someone else that needs to die? Is there perhaps a bitterness that's been growing between you and your spouse or you and a roommate or you and a child? Is there, is there something that needs to die in the pit? Is there something that needs to stay in the pit? Do you, do you have negative beliefs about yourself that need to die in the pit? Do you have negative ideas about others or negative beliefs about others that need to die in the pit? Those things don't need to come out with you. They need to stay in the pit. They need to die in the pit. I get so, I get so like frustrated and motivated anytime I hear someone speaking negatively about their situation and about their circumstance, not to like minimize their pain or their situation, but to help them to believe that they can have life and they can speak life into their situation. That you don't have to die. You don't have to stay there. You can get out. You can get out of the situation, and God can get you out. It's the provision of perspective. God can get you out. The provision of perspective. And then here's number three. Actually, look in verse three. Verse three says, He put a new song in my mouth. Got a new melody, got new lyrics, I got a new track. In my mouth, God, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise back to him, to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How many of you just, out of curiosity, you, you, um, you like new, new worship songs? Um, how about in the chat, put, what you, put whatever your favorite worship song is right now, whatever your favorite worship song is, whatever the one that you've had um, on repeat uh, for the last few days or whatever. Mine currently right now is this song. It's titled Psalm 23, I Am Not Alone. Um, I, it came on the other day as I was uh, doing sermon prep, and I just hit repeat. And I, actually, this is odd for me, but I, I never hit unrepeat or to stop that uh, for about the next three hours. I only listen to one song for um, the next three hours. You know, um, we like new worship songs. Um, and we, every time that we hear a new worship song, we feel like this is going to be like our new favorite song for life. This is like our new life song. Um, I remember like five years ago. Um, when we were planting the church and we were starting this, I had songs that were like so important um, to me and so like definitive to me. And I'm like, this is going to be my anthem for the rest of my life. And this is the most amazing song. Um, and I haven't sung that song for like five years, you know. Um, there's something about new songs that are designed and that are meant for new moments and new seasons. 
And in this season, God's going to birth in you a new song, a new song of praise. God's going to put um, new lines on your lips that you're going to sing and that you're going to declare to God. Here's the, here's the third provision, number three. The provision of praise. The provision of praise. God's going to give you a new praise. He's going to give you a new song. He's going to give you a new declaration. Do you know what that's what praise is? Praise is declaring who God is. Praise is declaring the truth of God in your life. Praise is declaring things over your situations and over your circumstances that actually supersede your circumstances. That's what praise is. That's why it's so important for us to praise. That's why it's so important for us to sing. That's why it's so important for us to remember what we are declaring to be true about God, what we are declaring to be true about us, what we are declaring to be true about others and the world that we find ourselves in. Provision of praise, which, by the way, um, I think declaration is super important. I think that we need to be preaching to ourselves. I think we need to be speaking to ourselves um, all the time, daily, truths of God, not truths of our feelings, but truths of God. I actually did this thing called a daily declaration in the midweek motivation a couple weeks ago. Um, In the weekly email this week, if you're at the bridge, there's actually a video that Christina did that's great that talks about a thing that we're doing called the Daily Declaration Project. I would encourage you to take a look at that. Check out that video and and, and be a part of this Daily Declaration Project. I think it's going to be powerful for many of us. But God gives him a new song. God gives him a new declaration. God gives him new life. God gives him a new perspective. God does so many new things out of this situation, which means David finds himself in this pit, but there's a purpose in the pit. There's a purpose in the pit, and God is going to bring new things out of that season. God's going to bring new things out of that moment. He's going to develop new things in you. I am actually so encouraged by what God's going to do in our church and in the church across the world because of this season. The way that the church is going to change, the way that the church is going to improve, the way the church is going to do better to try to reach the world. Um, I'm encouraged by that. There's a purpose in the pit. There's a purpose in your pit right now. And I'll just say, too, like, the darker your pit, the brighter your praise. I know some of you feel like there is no way out. You feel like you're not going to make it. It is so dark for you right now. You just feel so helpless right now. You feel like this is the worst thing that has ever happened to you, and perhaps it probably is. But I'm here to tell you today that the darker your pit, the brighter your praise. Coming out of this thing, your praise is going to be even brighter. Your praise is going to be even stronger. Your declaration is going to be even more powerful. And so let me wrap it up with, with this. I think the sermon wouldn't be quite fitting completely if we didn't take the biblical narrative strand and thread and take it all the way to the cross. You see, for us as believers, for us as Christians, if you are a Christian today, here's what centers us. Here's what changes our situation. Here's what changes everything. It's the gospel. See, Jesus actually took the pit for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came down. he, He bent down. He inclined. He came all the way here. He came down and He actually went to the cross. He took on our sin and shame. He took on everything that we've ever done that was foolish, that was ignorant, that was sinful, that was wrong, that was wicked. He actually took all of that onto himself. He took our lies. He took our our idolatry. He took our depravity all on himself on the cross. And Jesus would hang on the cross and he would actually die. He would actually experience death. And they would take his body down off of the cross And they would literally put it in the ground. 
They would take his body and they would put it in the ground. They would put it in a tomb. They would put it in the side of a rock underground and they would roll a stone on top of it. Jesus took the pit for you. But here's the good news is that Jesus defeated the pit. Jesus conquered the pit. The pit didn't have the final say on him. Jesus had a power within him that was actually stronger than the pit. Jesus resurrected from the pit. He came up out of it. He didn't stay in it. We have a resurrected king. We have a resurrected Jesus. There is no pit that can keep him down. And I'm here to tell you today that you've got the same power in you. There is no pit that can hold you down. And even when we face death, even if we die, even if we take our last breath, it's not the end. It's not the end of the story because we know that we are resurrected to new life. And death is even just a new beginning for us on the other side. It's a new beginning. There's no pit that can hold you down. We've got resurrection power on the inside of us. So here's how I want to end. If you would, wherever you are, on your couch or on your bed or at your kitchen table or on your back deck or wherever you are today, I actually want you to stand with me. I want you to stand up with me. I know, I, I know I'm putting you through a lot of anguish right now. I know that's challenging. I know that's hard, but just stand with me. Stand with me for just a moment. I want us to stand together, and I want to speak this over you, and I want to read this over you, and I want to encourage you with this. We'll, we'll, we'll end um, with this. Isaiah, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, verse 31. This past week as I was preparing for this and I was looking at this, it, um, this just completely um, changed me and wrecked me. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning in verse... Uh, 31, it says this, if I can get to it. Isaiah 40, 31, right? Here we go. It says this. You standing on your feet? Here we go. But they who wait. But they who wait. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You're going to get stronger. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run. You're going to run. You're going to run. And not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Church, I'm here to tell you today, you find yourself in a pit, you feel like you are in a pit, let me encourage you with this. It's time to run. It's time to run. It's time to run. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. That means you're going to fly. It's time to fly. I'm here to tell somebody, you're, you're, you're coming out of the pit. You're going to get out of the pit. It's time to fly. You're going to fly. It's time to run. You're going to run. You don't have to stay in the pit any longer. Wait on the Lord. Reach out to him. Cry out to him. Depend on him. Surrender to him. Submit to him. No one else can do that for you. Only you can do that. And when you wait on the Lord, he's going to give you some supernatural strength. He's going to give you something on the inside that you didn't have apart from yourself. He's going to fill you. He's going to move you. He's going to stir in you. You're going to begin to run, and you're going to begin to fly. It's time to fly, and it's time to run. Amen? Why don't you pray with me?